Good to be with you. I love, uh, I love being in Oasis Church. There is a real strong sense of family. Uh, great to hear about the, the bridge guys going up and down the mountain. So that was, that's really good to hear. Um, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm probably stealing a bit of their thunder. Some of you will know this. John and Katie Newbold, for those of us that know them, had a baby girl. Uh, I think it was yesterday, wasn't it? So that's exciting. We'll clap them when they're here with their baby girl. Uh, I told my daughter yesterday that John and Katie had a baby and she didn't even know that Katie was pregnant. So that was a, that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, last time I preached, I actually um, amazed us all with something of my family tree, if you remember. And many of you were really interested in that. It was, there was a point, because we were in the series of Ruth. Uh, the main point was that it was really boring. Uh, and in the Bible, there's some lots of boring bits sometimes, but they're there for a purpose. Uh, I didn't, wasn't able at that time, to share with you something of my wife's family tree. I'm not going to do that today. But what I did want to mention to you, as by way of introduction, was that uh, her dad, her stepdad, but she called him her dad, who died, sadly, five years ago, was a carpenter. And uh, he was a great carpenter. He used to spend hours at his lathe uh, creating various wonderful little artefacts, uh, varying from uh, a rocking horse that he made for my son when my son was born to to lamps, to dolls' houses, to everything. It was wonderful. He just loves working with wood or loved working with wood. And uh, the amazing thing about Graham, that was his name, was that obviously he loved the process of creating. He loved being a carpenter. It wasn't his main job. He just did it as a, as a side thing. But he loved creating something. And he loved creating something for people that he loved, which was mostly us in the family. I've got a shoebox that he made me, and you know, I think of him every time I do my polishing. Thank you, Graham, for my shoebox. So, not very often then. <laughs> I love family in Oasis Church. I love that. Actually, my shoes aren't looking too bad this morning. <laughs> the reason I mention Graham, as I shall continue, is that we're in a new series in Oasis Church in Ephesians called Crafted. And uh, we've, co- we've entitled the, the book of Ephesians Crafted for this series because we believe that God is a craftsman as well. He's one who creates. And we believe that God created people. He's created all of us. And he isn't just created us because he loves creating, although he does. He's created us because he loves being in relationship with his creation. It's a win-win-win for God. He creates us. He loves creating. He's created people which are wonderful and then he has a relationship with people as well and all through the book of Ephesians and we'll be learning this week on week and week as we go through we're going to be looking at what it means to be crafted by God we have identity in God and we have purpose in God and uh, for the first few weeks of the series we're also publicizing this wonderful new book that's hit the streets over the last few weeks which has been uh, written by our revered leader Adrian Hurst. He tries to keep his, his uh, writing skills under the radar, but now they've come out in full publicity. This is a comment, not a commentary. If you haven't got one of these, a comment, not a commentary, this is your moment to get a free book. And uh, it's, it's a really accessible book. It goes through the book of Ephesians in a, in a light manner and giving you some ideas, some thoughts in sort of summary terms, and asking some questions from all the passages that we go through about how it's relevant to your life. So we've been giving this out for free over the last couple of weeks. This is your moment. If you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks and you'd like this book for free right now, stick your hand up and somebody in an orange T-shirt will come and ask you why you haven't been here the last two weeks. (laughs) And this is our new way of identifying you criminal people. Not really, but I love family in Oasis Church. The, The book's free, the book's free. Anyway, so that's that. Right, just in terms of recap then, week one, of well, this is week three. Week one, uh, I've just alluded to, we have identity and purpose in God uh, and 
Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians. That's kind of what we learned in week one. Not all theologians agree with that, by the way, but we've decided that's what we think, so you can choose to differ. And week two, last week, God is worthy of our praise. Way, 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 way higher than any other thing or person. God is worthy of our praise because as Adrian began the meeting this morning, he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's the headline, and that's the headline of the verses that we're looking at over these uh, next couple of weeks in that block from verse 3 to verse 11, that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, last week when Adrian read out that section, he read, he read it in a, fl- a flow, a little bit like he read it out this morning as we began our worship, because that whole section of Scripture is one long sentence in Greek. There's no breaks, there's no punctuation, it's just a huge blurge of accolade about what God has done for us, and we therefore wanted to keep reading that section of Scripture in that way, in order for us to really get on board what God is saying to us through it. I'm not going to do that all over again, although I was planning to do so, because it's already been done Already, I want us to focus on just a couple of verses that we're going to be looking at today, which is verses 4 to verse 6. I am going to um, in, reintroduce those two verses with verse 3 again, because verse 3 is always the headline to, these, to this part of Scripture. But after I've read verses 4 to 6, I'm then going to do a slightly unusual thing and read you a poem in order to help all of us, I think, earth the simplicity of what these verses are teaching us, or showing us. It's something that I felt God led me to do as I was preparing. Not to get into the heavy, theological, apologetic argument about some of what this, these verses, in theory, are pointing to, but to go simple. To stick on the simple, amazing truths that are in these verses, rather than start getting to arguments about what they all mean. Because we can all have an argument around the kitchen table or around your dining room table after this preach today. But I think God just wants us to be encouraged by the simplicity of the truth that are in these verses. And I felt God therefore led, led me to write a pretty simple poem, to be honest with you. It's a simple poem, but I think it just amplifies the verses that we're going to be looking at. So it's like an unusual way of doing it, but let's do it. Let's read verses 3 to 6, and then I will read you the poem, and then we'll get going on the content of the preach. So verse 3 again says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. In love is in red there. That that word in love, that little phrase in love, appears only once in the Bible in Greek. But scholars can't decide whether it should come at the end of that sentence or the beginning of the next. I've decided that it works in both places, and so I've put it in twice. That might be heresy, but at least I've told you I've done it. I don't know why they don't do that, in fact, the, the, uh, the people that write the Bible who aren't God, if that makes sense. But anyway, for he chose us in him. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ? That sounds big. That sounds nice. 
That sounds worth having. Something free, something rich and full for me to bask in, bathe in, soak in deep. But just a second, what's it mean? Spiritual blessing that's all up there, it sounds like super spiritual hot air. So big and nice and rich and free, it does sound good. Enlighten me. Lift my eyes to what is true and bring these deep truths into view. Chosen before creation's dawn. In God's plans before being born. Chosen to be right up close. Best friends with God, engulfed by love. Chosen to be gazed upon, cherished, precious, perfect sons. Chosen to be family with privileges, standing, free. Free from blemish, free from pain, free from accusation, stain. Free to reach for God's embrace and free to get it. Glorious grace. Chosen before time began to be enveloped in the one through whom these blessings overwhelm riches rich in this heavenly realm. The farthest place from smoke and screen, God's purpose, will, has always been to show us what these riches mean and leave us stunned by mysteries seen. So, no This one thing, always true, God's love has chosen me and you. And that is the poem. You don't have to clap. Go on that. (laughs) God's love has chosen me and you. That was the headline for me as I ended up praying about, thinking about, reading about this part of scripture. And I know it was something that Adrian began to move us towards last week as he finished off that section as we look to praise God as a result of these verses, verses 3 to 11. But that is essentially the headline, God's love chooses us. God's love chooses us. It's predetermined love that chooses us. Adrian used the illustration last week. If you want to hear it online, go to our new website, www.theoasischurch.com, old URL. But there's a new website there, and his talk can be found 40 minutes in. It's a short talk. And he does the illustration and talks about what it's like for him and Lucy to have their children. Now, I'm going to broaden that slightly. So, look, whenever any man and woman, every husband and wife, any partnership decides to have children, their intention at that point is immediately they're going to love their children. They're going to love their children. You're not going to have children unless you decide at that point, even before you have them, to love them. That's the whole point of having children. It's an intrinsic part of who you are as a mum and dad. You decide you're going to love them. It's predestined. It's predetermined. Predetermined before conception, predetermined before birth, predetermined before life. It's all predetermined. It's predetermined love that causes us to know that whatever that child is going to look like and whatever they do in their lives, mum and dad are always going to love them. And even if the child shuns them or rejects them or ignores them, That love is always going to be there because it's inherently part of who you are. 
And your children might get up to some kind of mischief. Those of us that have children know that our children sometimes do. Neither of my kids here today, so I'm not going to you know, expose them in any way. But when they do things that are wrong, you don't feel a, a sense of anger towards them in a really nasty, justy, justified, justifiable, going to whap you kind of way. It's more pain because you want them to walk the right path. You want to draw them back around the other way. You want to bring forgiveness. Yes, you want to bring cor- correction, but you want to bring forgiveness and love and care to pull them away from the danger that they've put themselves in by getting themselves messed up. And it's the same with God. Whatever we do, God has predetermined that he's going to love us. Before the creation of all things, God has determined that when he creates the human beings, being the craftsman that he is, he is definitely going to love us. He loves you and he loves me today, right now. And you're in this room today and the big message is God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He's not against you. He's for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And we need to receive that more and more. And why well, that song's a good one, actually. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. It's, a, in many respects, a really simple song. But it has profound depth in it. Yes. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. So the message today is called Chosen. Because God's love has chosen Everyone, And it's not a message that is going to talk about whether some have been predestined to be chosen and some haven't been predestined to be chosen. Because that's all of the speculation that begins to come out of these passages that all these great theologians begin to write. And as you write it, you suddenly realise, a simple man like me thinks, man, you know, I'm not an N.T. Wright or a Dr. Lloyd-Jones. And they may have one view on something and somebody may have something on the other side. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know what I think. When he writes it, it sounds good. And when he writes it, it sounds good. And I get stuck in the middle and I think, I don't know what I think. But what I do know is I'm a son of God. I do know that I'm saved. I do know that Jesus is in my life. I do know that when I'm walking along life's path, whether it's good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, God is with me. I do know that I pray regularly to him. And I know that he's always there and always with me. He's my father in heaven. I don't really care, therefore, how that works, if I'm allowed to say that. Because one of the people who wrote said that if you're a theologian and you dismiss theology, that's a sin in and of itself. So I had to repent immediately before the Lord. But I don't really care in one respect because I know that he's a good, good father. That's who he is, and that I'm loved by him, and that's who I am. So how it really works, who really cares, apart from one thing that we'll get to in a minute. God's love chooses everyone. So where are we going to go with this passage, then? Is that it? Is that, is that Gus Rosier wriggling away from difficult theology? No. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> one person agrees with me. But then Bill and I, we've got a connection in the poetry world, so that's all right. I've got five things I want to draw out of this passage today. And they're five things about what it means to be chosen. The purpose of us being chosen. Because this passage actually is rich in what it means to be chosen in God. It says in verse 4, I'm going to read it again. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? To be holy and blameless in his sight in love. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glory and grace, which is freely given to us in the one he loves. What are we chosen for? Five things. Holiness, blamelessness, well-being, privilege, and witness. And we're going to go through those five things reasonably briefly this morning in order to realize that these are quite some big things that we're chosen for in love. So let's start with holiness. Holiness. When I was in business, I had the uh, privilege of recruiting people to be part of my IT team. I used to be an IT manager. I used to be able to program, build systems, quite clever in those days. 
and I had to recruit people. And in recruiting IT people, there's two things you need to do. One is you need to know they're able to do the job from a technical point of view. There's no point recruiting a programmer if somebody can't program. So you have a number of technical tests that you used to devise in order to see whether people knew their stuff. I knew my stuff. I built the tests so I could test whether they knew their stuff or not. That's in and of itself quite straightforward. The thing that's more difficult is pulling people into your team that are of good character that will fit into the team that you've already got, that you will enjoy managing and they will be enjoyed managed by you. It's the, what I call getting the right person for your team. And a lot of people, when they go into an interview, they prepare for an interview, and that's not a wrong thing, by trying to think of all the questions that people will ask in order to come up with the right answer when the question's asked. And I tried to think of questions that nobody would ever have thought of so that they were caught out in an interview situation and I got something of the heart, not something of the pre-preparation, if that makes sense. Over the years, I devised one question that I always used to end my interviews with, which I thought was quite clever, uh, but I don't know whether it was or not, but I just used to like it. And it was simply this. Right at the end of the interview, can you think of a question right now that you'd like me not to ask you? Can you think of a question right now that you'd like me not to ask you? Yes, you see, you're all thinking, aren't you? Now... To be honest with you, it can't, it can't have been that good a question because I can't really remember any of the answers that I've ever been given apart from one. One answer that was given to me once and it actually moved me because it gave something away about the person that I thought, this guy is honest. They didn't give me any detail, but they, they, they immediately looked down at their, at their hands on the desk. They immediately started stuttering their words a little bit and they said, look, please don't ask me what I did last night. And he said it like that. And I thought, ooh, what did you... What? I'm an honourable man, read the situation well and didn't ask them what they had done last night. But clearly they'd done something that they were ashamed of. You could see it in their body language, you could see it in their voice, unless they were the most supremely clever person that had ever existed and had prepared the answer in advance and thought, I'm going to get this guy. That was an answer that showed me that he was willing to take a risk in an interview situation to expose his heart to someone he'd never met before. And I like that. Now, I can't actually remember whether I recruited him or not, but I remember thinking he might not have had the technical skills. He can be a nice person but not be able to do the job, and that's a challenge in life, to be honest with you. But I thought, interesting. Now, in our lives, I'd like to suggest that all of us have things in our last nights that we'd like us not to be asked about what's your last night you might have had something even last night that you did that you're thinking Gus don't make this point linger any longer because I don't want anyone to think about what happened last night but there might be lots of other last nights last nights in our world that we're thinking of right now you think yeah actually I've got a few things that if I was asked that question I wouldn't want to answer it this verse says God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in love. God has chosen us to be holy, but if we're honest, we are not holy. He's called us, chosen us to be something that actually we're not. We are not holy. We are the opposite. In fact, what we are is mostly blame, full of blame. We are corrupted. We are spoiled. We are stained. We do things in our lives that we know that we're ashamed of. That's true, isn't it? I've done things in my life that I know I'm ashamed of. And as much as we like to put those things on other people, sometimes blame other people for the things that we do in our lives, for the hurt or the anger that we create, it's actually our fault. The spoil in our lives, the corruption in our lives, if that's not too, too strong a word, is our fault. It's nobody else's fault. 
The wrong things we do, the wrong things we say, the wrong things we think, it's our fault. And if people really knew who we were and how we thought and how we behaved in those secret moments where we wish ill upon people or, or get angry with people, whatever it is, if that was really became exposed, then we, we know that nobody really want to know us because we're not quite as nice as we like to think we are. This verse says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. And yet, we're not blameless, are we? We're not holy and we're not blameless. We're absolutely full of guilt. What about the next thing? This verse says, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. The imagery for me here, and I tried to bring it out in the poem, is God the Father holding a son, a newborn son. And whenever you have children, and I did this with both my children, when you have them and there's a baby, there's loads of moments where you're just gazing at them and gazing at them. And you look at the miracle of the birth of your son or daughter and it just blows you away. And everything in you exudes love for that child. And that child in that moment has the greatest sense of well-being they probably can ever imagine. They know that they're loved by a father. Loved by a father. There's well-being, there's peace, there's wholeness. It's a great place to be. And I often feel like that with, with God, in God's arms. The most secure I can possibly be, just knowing the love of the God flowed upon me. But actually, if we know that we're not holy because we've got whatever our last nights are in our life. And if we know we're not blameless, because at the end of the day, all of the things that we do that are wrong in this life are our fault, and therefore, generally, we're guilty in life rather than innocent in life, then actually, God, looking upon us in the way that we are, doesn't bring us any sense of well-being or comfort. It brings us unease. It brings us a sense of lacking in peace. Because God in his holiness, and it came out during our worship, God is holy. He's completely set apart from us. His ways are higher than our ways. And therefore, when he looks upon us as unholy, blame, full of blame and full of guilt, there is no sense of well-being or wholeness at that point. All there is is that unease that we don't like to have in life. And most people in life carry that unease. You probably carry a little bit of that unease sometimes. I do. I think, what's life all about? Is this all really real? Is it just me making things up? There's unease that we carry because we know we're not holy. We know we're not nice. We know we're guilty. Where am I going with all this? Well, what I'm saying is this. God has chosen us to be holy. God has chosen us to be blameless. God has chosen us for well-being in his sight. And yet we're not holy. We are full of blame. We are full of guilt. And most of the time we don't have any peace in our lives whatsoever. So if this verse is true, how can it be true? Because the proof's in the pudding. Pudding, it's not true. It's not true, is it? And yet, God is saying that I'm going to choose you to be holy even though you're unholy. And I'm going to choose you to be blameless even though you're full of blame and guilt. And I'm going to choose you for well-being and wholeness and peace even though most of the time you don't have any of that. It's holiness for you even though you're unholy. It's blamelessness for you even though you're guilty. And it's wholeness and peace for you, even though your life is full of unrest. And I'm choosing that for you before the beginning of time. Before you were born. I'm choosing that for you. That's what I'm going to give you. You're going to mess up. You're going to do things wrong. You're going to say things that you've never thought you'd say. You're going to hurt people. You're going to get angry. 
You're going to wish you'd never been born sometimes, but I've got things for you that you can't believe, and it's holiness, and it's blame-free, and it's wholeness. And it's a great invitation from the Lord. The question, of course, is how? How's God going to do it? Because he's got, a, he's got a plan. He's got a predetermined plan. He's predestined a plan. That's what this predestination bit is. It's about God showing us his predestined plan. What's his predestined plan? It's one word. Jesus. Jesus is the predestined plan. One word. One man. Jesus. It's all in Jesus. And if we do read these verses, looking for Jesus, boy, do we find him. Boy, do we find him. And we're going to find him now because I am going to read it again. The whole section, 3 through to whatever is 11 or something. I don't know. I don't really care. But anyway, (laughs) praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be homely and blameless in his sight in love. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of the glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, blah, 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 all the way through to verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Jesus is in this passage. Jesus is in this passage. There is no need to get too blown away by apologetics and argument. And what do you think about predestination? What do you think about predestination? Let's look for Jesus and find Jesus. Let's find the simple truth that God has chosen us in love, in Jesus, before the beginning of time. That's the simple truth. Jesus was, after all, holy, wasn't he? He was holy. There was no blemish in Jesus. He was blameless. They couldn't pin anything on him. He was completely at peace with himself. He knew who he was. God incarnate. The living God revealed through the person of Jesus as a human being, fully God and fully man. That's who Jesus was. He was God's perfect representation. God's glory, if you like, here on earth for all to see. The perfect human being, the sort of of human being that you and I love to see when we see people that, that image something of the wonder of Jesus. I've got two friends I've got to, I was, I'm going to tell you that. no no it's worse than that I've got more than two friends but I've got two friends who aren't in Oasis Church actually and uh, whenever I describe them to people I say they're the, the, the two friends that I've got are most like Jesus that I most want to be like now I wish they were in Oasis actually but these two friends of mine that, are, that I, I just want to be they're just f- so full of love they're so full of kindness they're so full of joy they've always got a kind word an encouraging word they're people that practically help me and Janie in our lives I'm not saying this doesn't happen in Oasis Church I've known these guys for about 20-25 years so it's just slightly different sometimes. But the point is this. When you see someone who looks, sounds, feels like Jesus in our lives, you want to be like them. And you want them around, don't you? And that's who Jesus was. He was himself. He was God incarnate, being exactly all of those things. And yet, and yet it was God's plan to see him crucified on a cross. How did that happen? How did the best human being... God-man that has ever existed on planet Earth throughout all history, the one that everybody loved the most, that was most full of integrity, that always had a kind word, always had a quiet word of encouragement, that was always alongside, always demonstrating compassion, always had heart for the poor and the marginalised and the prostitutes and the lepers and always did amazing miracles. How did this man get crucified on a cross like a common thief? How did that happen? Because God wanted it to happen. God had a predestined plan. 
and he had a predestined plan to make his perfect son unholy. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's how he did it. He made God unholy, if I can use Jesus unholy on the cross, if I can use that expression. Jesus on the cross, what happened? Took our blame. Took the punishment, didn't he? For our blame, for our guilt. He took it on the cross. God's predetermined, predestined plan. And Jesus, who was most at peace with himself, more than any other person that's ever lived, because he absolutely knew who he was, didn't need to prove himself to anybody, when he was dying on the cross, shouted out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because there's no well-being in being separated from God. There is no well-being. God has made Jesus unholy. He's caused him to take our blame. He's caused him to take our unrest on the cross. In order that we can step into holiness, we can step into being blameless, we can step into well-being and the love of the Father. And that is what these verses are talking about. Giving us, who are unholy holiness, giving us, who are full of guilt, a blame-free life, giving us, who have angst and who have unrest, peace and joy through our relationship with God the Father in heaven. And as I read that, I think, hallelujah. I think, I don't don't read that, by the way. It looks like I read it out. Oh, I need to say hallelujah at this point. It's me deciding which one I say. Hallelujah, because it is. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's what he's done for us. And that's what these verses are trying to demonstrate. Holiness and blamelessness and well-being. Is that what we want? Is that what you want? It's what I want. And it's there available to us in Jesus. So there are two other things that I haven't mentioned. Privilege and witness. Privilege and witness. How are we getting to those? Privilege and witness. Well, the amazing thing is that Jesus Christ doesn't just save us, doesn't just give us holiness and and blamelessness and well-being. He gives us so much more. It's not a kind of get out of jail free by the skin of your teeth card, the cross of Christ. It's like the fullest riches, the heavenly riches, all that God can possibly give, he's going to give us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we know that because of verse 5, which says that he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in in, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Adoption to sonship. This is what God has predestined, adoption to sonship. What does that mean? Well, when I explain this on Alpha, I always tell this story. It's not a true story, it's an illustration. And it's an illustration based around Manchester United, which I occasionally have to do in Oasis. I'm doing it less, less so these days because we're pretty awful most of the time. But, you know, when I first came up with this illustration, United were quite good. And they were managed by Sir Alex Ferguson, who's one of the best managers that United have ever had. So let's just pretend Sir Alex is still in charge because it's a lot, a lot better that way. And uh, United are playing Southampton this afternoon at four o'clock. Uh, great. We've got a Southampton fan. But, you know, are there any United fans in the house? I love family in Oasis Church. <laughs> so it's me and Tanya. <laughs> anyway, a few injuries in the United team after last week, as you know. United struggling. Uh, Alex Ferguson, let's pretend he's in charge. Games at four o'clock. This meeting finishes about uh, five minutes' time. I get a call, and it's from Sir Alex. And he's saying, look, Gus, I know you play football. I know you're quite good. <laughs> Don't laugh. I've got a medal from the National Christian Football Festival. Come on, 
I'm, you know, I'm desperate, exactly. I know you're quite good. I know you, you don't, haven't played professional football all your life, but how about you get down to Southampton as quickly as you can. I'd like to draft you into the team for this afternoon's game. Sounds exciting, Alex. Which position do you want to play? Your best position. Well, I can play all over the pitch. Play centre-back. Just note that. I can play all over the pitch. You, you missed it. You missed it. I'll put you as centre-back. Great. I'm happy at centre-back. Go down to Southampton. I'm on the bench. You can't bring me straight in. Game's going on. It's nil-nil. It's nil-nil. It's nil-nil. Nil-nil. Five minutes to go. Nil-nil. Two minutes to go. Nil-nil. Alex said, go on then, Gus. We'll put you on. Up you go for a corner. Ball comes over. Gus Rosie rises at the last post. Nods it into the far pill. Wins the game for United. Don't dream. Could happen. Anyway, after the game, Alex takes... I'm probably making more of a story than this needs to be, to be honest with you. I just love telling it. After the game, Sir Alex takes me back to his house in Manchester. He puts me in his car. He's got a brand new car. It goes like the wind. We zoom up to Manchester. He takes me out for a meal. He says, Gus, it's great having you on the team. I thought you played really well. Would you like a contract? £100 million for a week. Thanks very much. <laughs> Similar to what I get at Oasis, but we'll let's have a look, let's have a look at it, shall we? And... Uh, more than that, I've got an invitation I'd like to give you. What's that, Alex? Sir Alex, I should call him. I'd like you to become part of my family. What a ridiculous illustration that is. <laughs> Sir Alex Ferguson asking Gus Rosie to become part of his family. I'd like to adopt you into my family. I think you're that good. I want you. I love your character. Now, it's a, isn't it completely ridiculous? The, the silence shows you it's a stupid example. And yet, it's so stupid, God, in heaven... With all the riches of heaven at his disposable, the creator of all things, seen and unseen, creator of the universe, creator of the stars, creator of the sun, eternal God, everlasting God, out there God, holy God, has said, oh, I've got this predetermined plan that I've come up with throughout all history, through my son, that you lot, who are unholy, full of guilt, and have no rest in your lives whatsoever, I'm going to give you holiness... I'm going to give you a blame-free life. I'm going to give you well-being and rest. And by the way, I'm going to adopt you as a son into my family. And we think, ridiculous illustration. This is God giving us the same rights and privileges as his own son, Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing. What are the rights and privileges? If you come on Alpha, you can get me more detail. Little plug. But here are some. Identity. In God, adopted as one of his sons, you know who you are and where you've come from and why you're there. You have identity in God. Intimacy, you can call God dad. You can call God dad. God the father, that God that I've just described, you can call him daddy. Intimacy with God. Experience, you get to know God and God gets to know you. You get to find out how great God is. God is really amazing, you know. He's loads of fun. He does put you in lots of last-minute God situations that make you think, oh, I'm not sure if I like life or not. But actually, having God alongside you in every single thing you do is the most wonderful place to be. It's full of fun. Security. You never have to worry what anybody else thinks of you because God in heaven thinks you're brilliant. Security. That's what comes through adoption. Security. Gifts. I mean, who likes getting gifts as children? I do. I love it when my mum sends me a few quid for whatever reason. She's still doing it, whatever age she is, 78. She's probably going to listen to this. Thanks, mum. But I love getting gifts. I love giving gifts to my children. I, I probably spoil them because I love spoiling them. That's what God the Father does to us when we're adopted as sons. He gives us gifts for the children. You want gifts from God? Get adopted. 
And then there's inheritance, isn't there? If we're, if we're, it's a bit, it's a bit weird, isn't it, thinking about what you're going to do when you, what, what you're going to get when your mum and dad die. But the bottom line is, most of the time, you get what they leave. And if you're adopted into God's family, you have an inheritance which is eternal life with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the world that's yet to come, whatever that looks like. New heaven, new earth. Discuss. Boring. No? <laughs> really exciting. <laughs> the inheritance that's in through being adopted in Jesus. So that's the privilege bit. That's the privilege of this predetermined, predestined plan. Which leads us to the final point, which is witness. Witness. Because the amazing thing about all this is it's absolutely, completely, 100%, totally no strings attached, no secret, uh, difficult, small print anywhere, absolutely free. It's free. It's free. That's why it talks about the praise of God's glorious grace. You want some of this stuff? It's absolutely free. Free for you today to receive it. Free for me to receive it. I've received it already. I know it's free and it's wonderful. It's free. And if it's free and all this is so good, then that basically means there's some good news that most of us who know Jesus are carrying, which is we want to share this with some other people, quite possibly, if we're only brave enough now and again. The trouble is most of the time we're not, myself included. Or we don't know how to do it. But the desire to vocalise something of how excited we are, to tell our friends and our family about this good news, the witness element of it all comes through knowing that we're holy, knowing that we're blameless, knowing that there's well-being, knowing that we're adopted and we have intimacy and experience and gifts and inheritance and all that kind of stuff. The more we imbibe it, the more excited we get about it, the more likely we are to share that good news with other people. It's witness. So there you have it. You have holiness. You have blamelessness, you have well-being, you have privilege, and you have the potential of witnessing. And it all ends you up with verse 3 again, which is, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in life. God chooses us in love. God chooses me, and God chooses you. It's good to be chosen, that's what I would say. It's good to be chosen. Let's just stand and I'll pray. You just might want to shut your eyes if you're comfortable to do that. And uh, just take a moment. Just take a moment. The first thing I just thought would be good to do, just if, there, if there's anything that comes into your mind when I talked about that last night illustration, your last night, what happened to you last night, you know, literally, or what's happened last night to you in terms of your life? If you've got things in your life that you think, man, I so wish that hadn't happened. God's love completely sorts that out for you today. There's forgiveness through the cross of Christ. You might be someone who's already a believer in Jesus, or you might be somebody who isn't. And if, you isn't, if you're not, you just need to reach out and receive God's forgiveness, God's love, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment for anybody that wants to do that, never done that before, to do it. For the rest of us, we might just be thinking, this sounds fantastic, I just don't really live in the light of it. And I want you to be honest, really, and think, do, do we? Do we live in the light of that? Of being holy people, accepted by God? Blame-free? There's no barrier between us and God. Bill's picture of the dog barking and biting and the dragon. There's no barrier. Jesus has wiped the barrier away, and we can stride wholeheartedly into the throne room of God. Anything getting in the way of you doing that this morning that you want to sort out? And give you a, resp- a, a, a potential of responding in a minute. Anyway, I'm going to pray. God, I just want to thank you.
for your eternal plan of salvation. I want to thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to live, showing us what you're like, die, taking all the flack for us, and rise, showing that he sorted it all out. And I want to thank you for the, the, the richness that are in these passages, Lord God, and for how much it shows us that you're so for us, totally for us all the time, Lord God. And I pray that you would move us, you change us, Lord God. You draw us to you more and more through receiving this truth and living in the light of it. Lord God, because being chosen by you, our dad in heaven, is an incredible privilege. So we want to say thank you, Lord God. And uh, just as we close, if anyone wants to make a response to that, never responded to the love of Jesus before, you want to do that right now, or that you know you need to respond to the love of Jesus because you've, got, you've you found yourself wavering a little through whatever it is, just going to count to three and put your hand up, and then I'll just pray for you quickly as well. So, everyone, put the hand up. One, two, three, stick your hand up right now. Great. Well, that's good. You're all in a good place. That's cool. There are no hands. So I'm not going to close the meeting there. <laughs> that's all right. I'm going to close the meeting. They're not going to pray again. So please don't get your kids. It's 20 past 12, um, and we'll come back next week for two meetings, half past nine and 11.45. See you next week.